Let's pray one more time. Heavenly Father, here we are again, coming to your throne to ask for grace in time of need. The time of need just now is for us to be able to understand and have your word applied to us. Something which we know can only happen through the work of the Holy Spirit. So we ask for your filling of the Holy Spirit in our lives, that we may be able to receive what you have for us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. We have been working our way through the book of Ephesians in a series. And last time we came to the end of chapter 1. Today we'll be moving into chapter 2. When I think of Ephesians chapter 1, it's a very bright, victorious chapter because Paul is bursting with praise to God for what God has done for us and what God will do for us. For me, the atmosphere of Ephesians chapter 1 is something like the atmosphere you'd expect in a great stadium packed with people um, about to celebrate something. Could be a sporting event, a concert, doesn't really matter. They're there, the celebrations are happening, lots of activities going on in the middle, fireworks are going up, everybody's so buzzing, as you might say. And that's my impression of Ephesians chapter 1. Paul is filled with Christ. And he loves mentioning the name Christ and God and the Spirit. If I look at Ephesians 1, one, he says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Already in one verse he's mentioned Christ Jesus twice and God once. Verse 2, grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, the very next verse. 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He has blessed us in Christ. You can't stop talking about Christ. He's like a young man who's just fallen in love for the first time. Wants to talk about his beloved. No matter what the subject, whether it's politics or food or farming, there's a chance on there to link that person with Christ or with the beloved, for the young man's sake. And so it is that Paul just goes through and through this chapter, mentioning God and Christ and the Holy Spirit. In fact, if you were to take a highlighter and highlight each verse in which Paul mentions God, the Father, Christ Jesus, the Holy Spirit, either by name or by pronoun, him, his, whom, you'd be a busy person. You'd have blocks of highlight. Verses 1 to 15 would be highlighted. And then verse 17 to the end of the chapter would be highlighted. There'd be one verse in the chapter was was not highlighted. Verse 16, where Paul talks about giving thanks for you and praying. And it's understood that he's talking about giving thanks to God and praying to God. And so it's a very light-filled chapter. 
And then we come to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 3, and you could put your highlight pin away. There's no mention there of God. If we go back to our stadium idea, for me that would be like the moment when they ask everybody to stand solemnly in a moment's silence to remember those who have recently passed away in some tragic event. The mood changes immediately. And so today we'll look at those verses, verses 1 to 3. So let's read them. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived, in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. So there are three verses here. We'll be working our way through verse by verse. And my method this morning will be to um, shine light on these verses by using other passages of Scripture. We'll be mostly in uh, Genesis and Romans to do that. So Ephesians 2, chapter 1, starts with, and you. So who are the you? Are they the Ephesian Christians? And especially, I think, they were Gentile Christians because in the first verse of the next chapter, Paul writes, for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles. So it seems like the church was mostly a Gentile church. You were dead. Now, even though this passage is so dark, there's a few hint words in there which shine light. And the first one is the word were. You were dead implies you're not dead now. Same as in verse 2, you once walked, not now. And in verse 3, we all once lived. So they're dark verses, but they've got that ray of hope in there telling us that these things are in our past and no longer apply. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Dead. What does Paul mean by dead? They were still alive but they were dead. I think Romans chapter 5 is a good help for this. If you'd like to turn to Romans 5, I'll I'll read verse 12 of chapter 5. Then I'll just take some phrases out of another section. So Romans 5 verse 12, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, so death spread to all men, because all sinned. And so Paul is tracing the death and the sin back to one man. I'm just going to pick up some phrases from verses 15 through to 21. Uh, This is where Paul compares Adam and Christ. I'm going to uh, just focus on the phrases that talk about Adam. So from verse 15, we've got, uh, many died through one man's trespass. 
In verse 16, the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. Verse 17, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man. Verse 16, one trespass led to condemnation for all men. And verse 19, for as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. And then in verse 21, sin reigned in death. So Paul traces the Ephesian sin back to one man, Adam. Let's skip over then to read about Adam in Genesis chapter 2 and 3. We'll read one verse from chapter 2. That's verse 17. God is talking. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. We know Adam didn't die physically on that day, but he died spiritually, cut off from the life of God. Over in Genesis 3, we see it having been played out. Genesis 3, verses 9 to 13. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. So from that moment, from the very first man, sin was in the world. The very next person to be born was a man named Cain, Adam and Eve's first son. In chapter 4, verse 7, God's talking to Cain. He said, if you do, if you do not, do, no, if you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Sin was crouching at the door. It was against him. It was contrary to Cain. It was wanting to destroy Cain. God said, you must rule over it. But did he? No, in the very next verse, verse 8, Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother, Abel, and killed him. And so sin continued in the world until we reach this verse in Genesis 6, verse 5. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. The Ephesians had been dead in trespasses and sins. 
There's nothing pleasant about death. Nothing to attract us to dead bodies compared to live ones. It's a horrible and putrid and off-putting thing. Death. A couple of days ago, the boys and I walked to the caravan and we noticed a strange smell in the caravan. You can see the look of disgust on Jack's face already. <laughs> I thought, what is that horrible smell? And so we sniffed around here and there. We kind of isolated the area. It was uh, along a, an edge next to a window. And we saw a little, little bit of mold there. So maybe it's a smelly mold. So we got out the disinfectant and gave it a good rub down and cleaned it up. And now we could smell disinfectant. Um, and I went back later, but I could still smell that horrible smell. I kept on sniffing. I opened the window. I thought, maybe it's coming from outside. So I went around outside, and no, the outside wasn't smelling. But then I looked up where the window, which was now open, opens up this way, um, had been closed against the caravan. I looked in that space down there, and there was a squashed gecko. How can such a tiny little creature produce such a horrendous and huge putrid stink. Not when it's alive. It was dead. Reminds me of the story of Lazarus. And Jesus was ready to raise Lazarus from the dead. And Mary said, Lord, he's been dead for four days. By now there'll be a terrible odor. Lazarus was decaying already. He could do nothing to bring himself back to life. That would need outside help. Another story, the story of Ezekiel being shown the valley of dried bones. You remember that one? What can dried bones do to bring themselves back to life? Nothing. By the word of God, spoken through Ezekiel, the bones rattled together, got ligaments on them, then flesh. And at last, the Lord gave Ezekiel a word to give to them, and life was breathed into them, and they became a great living army. Dead people, dead bones, can't help themselves. I remember a year or two ago, we were watching a soccer game where Jack was playing, and one of his teammates near the end of the game just collapsed on the field. His heart had stopped. His parents were there and probably spent about 20 minutes trying to revive him. The boy himself could do nothing, could he? Unfortunately, the parents and the, the ambulance staff were able to revive him and he's still healthy to this day. The Ephesians were dead, putrid, and their sins and trespasses. Paul says in verse 2, in which you once walked. They walked in them. It was their daily habit, their way of life. It's their normal, everyday thing to be in trespasses and sins. Then he goes on, following the course of this world. The world, this is what we call the culture, or the pressures 
of other people. Peer pressure, especially strong for teenagers, but not only for teenagers. Uh, from pressures from family or friends, relatives. So many people are wanting to join, make us join in with what they're doing that's wrong. Who or where do you think the, the world, the first example of world in the Bible was? I think we read it before, talking about Adam and Eve. The man said to God, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the, of the fruit of the tree, and I ate. It was not enough for Eve just to eat the fruit herself. She wanted Adam to share in the wrong. Try this. How many a death of a drug addict can be traced all the way back to a friend or a family member or a peer? He said, hey, try this. And the Ephesians were not resisting that. They were following, following the course of this world. And so as individuals, they were trespassing and sinning. As a social group, they were following the course of the world. And then Paul says, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. The prince of the power of the air. This is probably talking about Satan, the devil. Paul does go on in chapter 6 to talk about the devil and also the powers of darkness. We're not always aware of the prince of the power of the air. The Ephesians, I think, were very aware of spiritual things. We've mentioned it two or three times. As we know from Acts chapter 19, the Ephesians were very caught up in spiritual things. Um, there's an example there of the sons of Sceva trying to control demons and cast out demons. There was the example of the Ephesians themselves who had been read, buying and reading books on magic. Uh, not the sort of magic tricks you had said at a kid's party, but spiritual magic. They wanted to control these forces uh, so that they could have for themselves good health, maybe children, uh, blessing on the business. And so they were trying these things, like incantations and things, to to bring them good things from the spirits. They wanted to control the spirit world. And then there was the goddess Artemis and all the little idols that they would buy and that have hope in this, buying these idols that some good, some favor would come to them. And so they were, like I said, trying to control the spirit world. But what was really happening? Well, there's the example of the men who tried to cast out the demons. And the man with the demons overcame them, beat them up, stripped them, and they ran out of the house naked. They went with nothing they'd come in with. They lost it all. And those people who were trying to manipulate the spirits through their magic, do you think they really were? Isn't it more likely that the spirits were manipulating them 
keeping them in darkness, away from finding the truth of God. And the same thing with Artemis, the goddess, and the idols. They thought by doing that, they would get control of the spirits. But it was the spirit, the prince of the power of the ear, who had control of them. And they were following the prince of the power of the ear. The spirit, he says, that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Disobedience. You know, if you go to the park or somewhere and you sit down, you often see families, parents and children. And if you look carefully, you can figure out which children belong to which parents. Well, that boy's got red hair. That couple over there got red hair too. I think he's the son of those parents. And that boy, if you look at the shape of his nose, it's similar to his, that lady over there. So I think that son belongs to them. What Paul's saying to here is that the Ephesians belonged to disobedience. They were identified as disobedient. This is how they are. The sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. You know, Paul started off the chapter using the word you. You were dead. Now he joins in among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. So even though Paul may have led a more outwardly moral life than the Gentiles, he joined himself with them. We once lived among those sons of disobedience, just as you are. In the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. Now the passions of the flesh and the desires of the body we can quite easily grasp. Those are our natural appetites that we uh, have like eating and drinking and sexual pleasures and maybe some sorts of feelings that you could possibly get from drugs or drunkenness. Some sort of peace. All those things that are more to do with the body. But he also mentions the desires of the mind. What could he mean by that? Well, Mel read us a passage from Romans chapter 1 before the message started. It was Romans one twenty-eight through to 32. Let's pick up a few points from verse 29 to 31. You'll probably be able to figure this out by yourself, but which ones were the involved the mind and passions of the mind? They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness. I want that. Something from your mind. Malice. I hate him. They are full of envy. I wish I had that and not that person. Murder, strife. I'm not going to apologize. Deceit. Yes, that's my true tax return. 
maliciousness. They are gossips. You should have heard what she did. Slanderers. Haters of God. Insolent. Haughty. Boastful. I'm so much better than other people when I do that. Inventors of evil. Disobedient to parents. Foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Inventors of evil, he said that. A sin of the mind. Reminds me of the one we read out in Genesis chapter 6, verse 5. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. These are the desires of the mind that Paul's talking about. Paul himself had been a ruthless person chasing Christians to their death. And we're by nature, the verse carries on, children of wrath. Again, we've got that idea of children of wrath. Before it was sons of disobedience, now it's children of wrath. Well, whose wrath is it talking about? Well, just a chapter or two over, you've got Paul writing in Ephesians chapter 5, just after he's given a short list of sins, saying in verse 6, Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. The wrath of God was on the Ephesians and was on Paul as well. A couple more scriptures about the wrath of God. I'll just read them. No need to turn to them. They're quite familiar. You've got John chapter 3, the last verse. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life but the wrath of God remains on him. And then in Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2 verse 8. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. Paul and the Ephesians were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. And so we come to the end of the details from verses 1 to 3. Let's just add a little bit more context. From Ephesians 1 verse 4 Paul talking about God says, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. This is what God had in mind before he even made the world, that those Ephesians and Paul would be holy and blameless people. And yet how were they? They were dead in trespasses and sins. What a contrast to what God desired. Chapter 1, verse 5. He predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. God wanted them to be his own sons, adopted sons. What do we read in chapter 2? 
They were the sons of disobedience, children of wrath. Verse 11 of chapter 1. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him. He works all things according to the counsel of his will. God had an inheritance for them. What do we read about them? They were following the course of this world. What can this world give me? They weren't thinking of God's inheritance for them. And finally in chapter 1, verses 19 to 21. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand, in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. The Ephesians' whole life perhaps had been lived during the time after Christ was raised from the dead and seated at the right hand of the Father, having all power and dominion. And what do we read about them? They are following the prince of the power of the air. Not knowing the greatest power was in Christ. And that was who God had for them. Let's go back to the first main point. They were dead. As individuals, they were sinning. And their social relationships, they were following the course of the world. Have you ever seen a bit of dead driftwood flowing down a river? It can't struggle and go the other way. It just goes with the current. And spiritually, they were under the influence of the prince of the power of the air. As Paul writes later in the chapter, they were having no hope. No hope. They did. Well, we've seen the context of what comes before. Let's have a quick look at what comes after. And we'll be talking about this more in weeks to come. However, verse 4, but God. This is the same God who's wrathful towards them. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive with Christ, by grace you have been saved. So after that moment's silence in the stadium, Things go back to normal. Things are joyful again and exciting and powerful and full of light. We could do nothing to save ourselves. We were in such a terrible situation. But God. Let's pray. What shall we say to these things? Thank you, Father, that soon we're going to have the chance to sing again and sing our praise to you and 
worship you once more. Our lives would be so different unless you had stepped in because we were so trapped. Now we can look back and say that is how we once were. We are no longer like that. We praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.